Heavenly Father, we come before you tonight, and we're thankful for each one that is here. And Lord, we just ask that you would direct our time and the study of your word and encourage us, strengthen us, and Lord, keep us on track. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. All right, we're going through the book of James. So if you need an outline, wave your hand there. I guess Andrew can run those around. And uh, we are actually striving this time for the big uh, picture here. Trying to, uh, we're moving rather quickly uh, through the book as a whole, not taking time to uh, take apart every uh, little bit, but trying to uh, get the general story here. And the the word that has just keeps coming up is attitude. And uh, last uh, time we went through James chapter 3 and we dealt with our attitude, the Bible attitude or a biblical attitude toward myself. Not trying to be in charge of everything. Uh, working on the taming of the tongue and realizing that the wisdom that comes from God uh, is, and let's just, uh, even though it's not really on your outline here tonight, let's just spend a little bit of time here on verse 13. Who is a wise man and endued with knowledge among you? Let him show out of a good conversation his works with meekness of wisdom. But if ye have bitter envying and strife in your hearts, glory not and lie not against the truth. This wisdom descendeth not from above, but is earthly, sensual, devilish. For where envying and strife is, there is confusion and every evil work. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure then peaceable, gentle, and easy to be entreated, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. And the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace of them that make peace. So we're looking here in chapter 3 as we just finish up a few verses and get into the outline on chapter 4 is... If you want to have the proper attitude, if you want to be that wise man that's endued with knowledge, you need to be able to show your salvation ought to work. And how many times have we talked about that in the book of James? That our faith should do things, but... Please don't raise your hands, but stop and think. I've been to preachers' meetings where there has been envying and strife in a preachers' meeting. Now, I do my best to stay away from those kind of preachers' meetings because we normally call them fellowship. And fellowship is to encourage and build. But this kind of stuff tears down. I've been in churches where this kind of thing has gone on. And the Bible tells us that this wisdom doesn't come from God. It is earthly, it is sensual, and it is devilish. There are churches that you can go to. Uh, they, uh, here in the city, they have several different churches. It's networking churches. 
If you're an actor, there's supposed to be one church where all the actors go. If you're in real estate, there's a church. If you're into uh, different interests, there are churches that will cater to you. Uh, what's more earthly than that? Uh, the Bible says it's sensual and devilish, for where envying and strife is, there is confusion in every evil work. It says, but the wisdom that is from above is first pure. Now, can I ask you a definition of pure? It's very, uh, if you look it up in the dictionary, it will say, unadulterated or no additives. Pure means it's just one thing. Now, if wisdom is going to be from above, it's going to be first pure, what is that one ingredient that's going to be in that wisdom? Could I challenge you, it would be God's words. Amen? And that's one of the reasons why we spend some, have spent a great deal of time and effort, and I allude to it office, often about the purity of God's Word. We, we have a Bible that we can trust. That doesn't mean that scholarship is going to uh, necessarily agree with us. When is the last time scholarship or the majority of people out there, when's the last time they've been right about anything? You see, we do not use opinion polls. We do not use uh, what we think to determine the difference between right and wrong. We use the Word of God. That is pure. While we were up there, I was, uh, I think I told a little bit of the story. We were going into a McDonald's there in Maine just to get a little snack after church one night, and this guy was trying to tell us that uh, Mr. Trump had the blessing of Cyrus. He was the 45th president, and therefore the 45th chapter of the book of uh, uh, Jeremiah or Isaiah, whichever one that talks about Cyrus, uh, as Cyrus was going to be the one to rebuild Jerusalem, Trump will be the one to rebuild America and all of this. And I'm sitting there going, whoa, wow. Uh, that is... And, and I even asked him, I said, listen, let's pretend for a moment I could do all kinds of miracles. And I prophesied future events and they came to pass. And I said, then I told you that the Jesus that talks about in the Bible is not talking about Jesus of Nazareth. It's really talking about me. I said, what would you think of that? He said, that's not true. I said, why not? He said, because the Bible tells me different. I said, so the Bible is the final arbiter of truth. Oh, no, but he's got the siren blessing on him. And he's just sitting here going in a circle. Uh, you see... God's Word is pure. God's wisdom is always in agreement with His Word. If I can apply the Bible answer, I get the right outcome every time. Amen? That doesn't mean 
that the Bible is some kind of little spell book, and I go, and everybody's going to do what the Bible says. When people refuse to do what the Bible says, bad things are going to happen. There's just no... Uh, and one of the rules, one of the things that the Bible sets forth is that there is going to be innocent people suffer because of guilty people's sins. Read the Bible. It's just there. You cannot change that. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable. You know, when you apply God's wisdom to your heart, what's the first major thing that's going to happen? You're going to get saved. Blessed are the peacemakers. How many of you remember that? If I'm at peace with God, guess what? It's not too hard to be at peace with myself, to be at peace with other people who are at peace with God. And when people who want to fight God and want to uh, uh, be upset at God, I can still be at use the peace that God gives me to keep myself. That's what the psalmist in Psalm 23, Thou preparest a table before me, where? In the presence of mine enemies, the Bible says. Does that sound like peaceable wisdom? I'll tell you what it is. And so as we look here at the wisdom that God gives, easy to be entreated, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy, and the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace. Of them that make peace. So as I take the peace of God and let it reign in my heart and change the way I behave and the way I am acting, when I embrace that wisdom that comes from above, guess what I'm doing? I'm giving another opportunity for the fruit of righteousness to be sown on this earth. Remember Galatians chapter 6? Whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. If we would sow the right seed, we would get the right harvest. Amen? But we get into the text that we're working on tonight. From whence come wars and fightings among you? I hate to say this as the pastor of Open Door Bible Baptist Church, but there have been fightings amongst our own members at times. Uh, there have been things that have not been right. And where do they come from? They don't come from God. Here's the answer right here. They come... Come they not hence, even of your lust that war in your members. You know what? When you get saved, it doesn't take your sin nature and eradicate it. Uh, my mother, when she was growing up, she went to a church, not a Baptist church, and they believed that you could reach a point of spiritual maturity. It was called the second blessing where the Holy Spirit just moved in and took over 
I thought that happened when you got saved. Amen. Uh, and it does according to the Bible. And that you became sinlessly perfect here on earth. And, and I never will forget the hurt that was in my mother's voice. She said, I knew those sinlessly perfect people. I knew what they were doing during the rest of the week. And they'd show up on Sunday morning talking about how sinlessly perfect they are. Uh, do you realize that when we have problems as brothers and sisters in Christ, when we have difficulty one with another, the root of those problems is the same root of problems out there in the world. We have people that desire a certain template for America. In fact, we have a a senator that has said any justice of the Supreme Court that is against abortion does not deserve to sit on the Supreme Court. Quote, unquote, Charles Schumer. And uh, I, I, I tell you, that is his opinion and he's more welcome to it. Uh, I'm not going to participate. How about you? Uh, I am not for the murder of unborn babies in the mother's womb. I'm not for the murder of babies, period. Uh, there have been many through history that have. We go back to the Old Testament. Child sacrifice was a part of the worship of Moab and the Ammonites. And, and it's carried right on today. They don't have temples and altars. But they're still sacrificing the children for a career, for expediency, for, well, it's just too much. We, we can't handle this. Oh, wait a minute. Whoever said you could? Parents, can you handle everything your kids dish out? Children, that's all of us. Were your parents able to handle everything you did to them? Uh, let me tell you something. The only way that works is God has got to be in the equation. Amen? And here's the problem. It says, James is talking primarily to the believers here. He said, ye lust and ye have not, ye kill and desire to have, ye cannot obtain, ye fight in war. Yet ye have not, because ye ask not. Ye ask and receive not, because ye ask amiss, that ye may consume it upon your lust. You know, how, how uh, we've many, many times we've gone over the Lord's Prayer, and the Bible tells us that when we pray, we're to ask the Father in the name of Jesus. Amen? And really what that means is the exact same thing when someone writes you a check and they endorse that check, they sign it, they put your name in the pay to and their name on the signature line. What they are doing is authorizing you to withdraw funds from their bank account. That's what in Jesus' name really means. Jesus says, listen, I'm giving you a blank check to ask God anything. 
than I would ask God for. You want your prayers answered? we got to start asking the way Jesus would ask. Amen? But we get caught up with the things of this world. We, we, we decide we want certain things or we're going to have something or we want to get something. And, and, and the Bible's... I, I have watched people who once served Christ. They made a decision. I am going to do this. And then they said, well, God worked out every detail for us to fill in the blank. The only problem was they stopped serving the Lord. Or were not able to continue serving the Lord in the way that the Bible says. Here was the thing. They were fulfilling. God doesn't answer the prayers because... We ask the wrong way for the wrong reasons. God doesn't answer many prayers because we are too busy trying to answer the prayer ourselves. How many of you have ever tried to do that? Dear God, I know it's your will and I'm going to help. I mean, that's what Abraham and Sarah did with Ishmael, was it not? Didn't turn out so good, did it? And our a biblical attitude here My attitude toward God concerning prayer is understanding something that when there is strife, uh, when there are unanswered prayers, the problem is not me. I mean, not God. It is me. Wow, what a Freudian slip there. The old sin nature just gets in, doesn't it? Uh, The problem is not... uh, No, the problem is never God. The problem is me. And, and we need to adopt a biblical attitude toward God in our prayers. We need to understand that we're capable. And, and this is one of the reasons why I, I so often name that book, The Purpose Driven Life, and, and condemn it because it is the absolute antithesis of what James is trying to teach right here. It is the exact opposite. It is truth turned inside out because Mr. Warren in his book says, God put these desires in your heart and if you keep asking him, he'll give it to you. Well, that's not what James says. He says, even as believers in Christ, we're capable of surrendering to our own lust and our own desires. We're capable of envying even other Christians and letting these things hinder us. We're, we're capable of trying to fulfill our own prayers. And he moves in verse 4 to the, uh, to the next part of this whole thing. He says, Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God. Now we have to understand that James is not necessarily using the word adulterer, the title adulterer and adulteress, in a physical sense of violating the vows of marriage as much as he is in the spiritual sense of violating our purity toward God. He's saying, let's go back to verse 17, but the wisdom that is above is first 
pure, unadulterated. You are into additives. How many of you have ever taken time to read all the additives that they put in your food sometimes? I mean, that's terrifying stuff, is it not? Uh, uh, Sometimes it's really, uh, you you just say, what am I eating here? It sounds like I'm eating a whole bunch of chemicals. Well, you actually are most of the time. Uh, But uh, if we didn't have some of those chemicals, your food would spoil uh, before you got it on the plate and a lot of other things. So, But when it comes to God, we do not need to add anything. And we need to understand that I need to have a proper biblical attitude towards God concerning the world in which I live. Now, before we go through all these things that are talked about in these next verses, we need to understand that God never endorses uh, escapism or isolationism. God never has said, I want you to come out from the world and live in your own little community. Excuse me, I challenge you, do not study the history of the monks and the nuns and the monastic lifestyle. It is so terrible. Uh, It makes the present scandals in the Roman Catholic Church look like a Sunday school picnic compared to what went on in the lives of those men and women who separated themselves from the world to be holy unto God, and made their own little communities away from the world. The wickedness that went on there is unparalleled in the annals of human depravity. I mean, it's just, that's not what God is saying. But here's the problem. Know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God? We have, uh, I remember years ago we had a college team up here from a Bible college and they were visiting a church and they were telling me, says, wow, this preacher's really crazy. Uh, it's a Baptist church, but he says he's not trying to win souls. He's trying to build bridges to the world. Uh-oh. What's it say here? Friendship with the world is enmity or fighting against God. If you want to know one of the reasons why I I so strongly detest contemporary Christian music, it is because contemporary Christian music is built on the principle of friendship with the world. How many of you have ever heard of a woman named Amy Grant. I used to say young woman, but she's actually about my age, I think, maybe a few years older than me. And so she's not young anymore. She was one of the founders of the contemporary Christian music movement. And here is what someone asked her. Who's your favorite music group? The Doobie Brothers. Whoa, wait a minute. 
and, and said, what do you do when you like to relax? Well, I just grab a beer and curl up on the carpet and put on the doobie, brothers, and listen. How many of you know what a doobie is? It's a marijuana cigarette. Uh, that's why the, the rock band Doobie Brothers called themselves that. They were, they wanted to be a trip. Uh, uh, I don't know if somebody played one of their songs. I couldn't identify it. I, I'm purposefully ignorant of that stuff. But I do remember this years ago. I walked into a Walmart or a Kmart and I heard a voice singing that I had heard before. And I just stopped and I listened. And the, and the song was, The next time I fall in love, it'll be with you. Does that sound very godly to you? It wasn't a godly song. You know who was singing the lead for the female vocals? Miss Amy Grant. The moment she had a chance to go to the world, she took it. But she wasn't willing to do everything that those worldly people do. Give her credit for that. But that's why she's not really big in the world. You can't be friends with the world without being an enemy with God. You can't have everyone speaking well of you and thinking that this is good. I'm, I mean, sometimes people will ask me, Pastor, what do, what do we do with politics? Well, it's pretty simple most of the time. If Hillary Clinton is for it, you ought to be against it. I mean, how can I make it any more plain than that? I, I, I have never known her to come down on the right side of any issue. She is a woman that hates God, hates the Bible, hates morality, hates all of the things that we love. If she is against it, then I'm probably for it. I'm not guaranteeing it, but that's a general... You can tell things by who's for and who's against it. By the way, if you apply that same rule to what's going on with this uh, murder of this uh, Saudi reporter, you know what you're going to find out? You're going to find out some of the worst people in politics are all upset about this because they like this guy. Now, if they like this guy, that tells me there's something wrong somewhere, doesn't it? So withhold your judgment here and just wait until the facts come out I am sure in this situation there is enough wrong to go around to everybody to get some blame. But let me tell you something. Don't jump on the bandwagon. Because I'm not going where most of those people that are raising this big hoopla are going. And please don't, don't say that I'm endorsing murder and torture. That, that's ridiculous. But I will tell you this, I'm not going anywhere with Chuck Schumer. Not willingly. I don't agree with the man. I don't agree with his philosophy. I don't agree with his basis. I don't agree with his politics. And if he is for something, hey, maybe we ought to take a moment. Let's look what it says here. 
Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. There is no middle ground, my friend. There, there's uh, years ago, uh, actually it was in Bible college. I, I learned this the first time. You, you have your, um, now I'm going to forget it. Wow. Um, uh, you have your thesis. That is your statement of truth. You have your antithesis or your antithesis, the opposite of that. And the real answer is supposed to be in synthesis, where I take the statement of truth, my thesis, my antithesis, my statement of opposite, and I put it together and I find the truth is in the middle. Now, that's a great recipe for a bologna sandwich, my friend. Uh, because you're never going to find the truth by adding anything but truth to it. You see, the world would have us believe that there is a middle ground on everything, and that's what we're supposed to seek. I, I don't know who said it the first time, uh, but I, I, I picked it up and I've never... You know what's in the middle of the road, my friend? Roadkill. That's what's in the middle of the road. Let, let's not try to be middle of the road. Uh, let's understand that at one side of the pendulum swing is the world. At the other side is God... There is no middle ground in the, uh, uh, that we can stand on. We are seeking to be as godly as we can. This is our attitude toward the world. I do not want the world to help me in my music. I do not want the world to help me in my understanding of the Bible. I do not want the world to help me in, in administration of the church. I want to be as godly as I can. Are you with me on this? This is my attitude toward God concerning the world. You see, because we're going to get practical here in just a minute. In verse 5 it says, Do you think that the Scripture saith in vain? The Spirit that dwelleth in us lusteth to envy. The spirit that dwelleth in us, our human spirit, desires sin, desires the, the, the things that are bad in this world. But, verse 6, but he giveth more grace. Aren't you glad that verse is in there? Uh, and, it, and it is in direct opposition to the spirit that is in us. If we will have that proper attitude. Uh, I have met people uh, that... Uh, have just told me how strong they were standing for God and how much they hated the world. And almost without exception, down the road, just a little ways, I found them wallowing in some slime pit of sin. You see, I know that in me dwelleth no good thing. And that there is a part of me that is attuned to the things that go on in the world. And if I let the world come in, if I make 
friendship with the world. If I give an opportunity, the world is going to speak to that spirit that is in me. And it's going to move me in the wrong direction. But you know what? God gives me more grace. He's not going to suffer me to be tempted above that I am able. He is going to make a way to escape that we can bear it. And here is what it is. But he giveth more grace. Wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace to the humble. Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. You know, the devil gets blamed for an awful lot of things he's not really responsible for. And James has gone over that. He said, lust comes from our own members in James chapter 1. He, in, in verse 4, change 4, 2, we just went over here. It comes from the lust that is in our own members, that inside of us. So we must submit ourselves to God. That's why it's important to be in church. When you're in church, you're submitting yourself to God's direction. I've had some people, Pastor, why can't we have church every day of the week? And I'm going, we, we have problems getting people to show up Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Thursday night. Till we solve that problem, uh, we're not looking to add extra meetings. Uh, and, and so uh, we, we will uh, try as much as within us is to have enough services here to keep us in the love of God. And, and it says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Now, how do I resist the devil? Uh, you turn on the TVN and you'll have some preacher stand there. I... Well, I'm not even going to use the words, but he claims to bind the devil and do all of these things. I'll tell you what, I make no such claims. I don't have that power. Jesus does. You know the best way to resist the devil? Hide behind Jesus. You want to fight Demonic attacks. Hide behind Jesus. The devil cannot fight the Lord Jesus Christ. You hide behind the the Lord. You think the devil's going to stick around? No, he's just Gonsville. Because he knows he is powerless. The... uh, we, We... it's just simply that simple, draw nigh to God and He will draw nigh to you. Do you think this verse is in here inadvertently that James is just putting a lot of ideas together to uh, say, well, try this and try that? No, it's all in order here. It's, it's helping us understand how we submit to God, how we resist the devil, is we get closer to the Lord. And I love the way I heard it put one time. He said, a preacher was pleading for souls in a meeting we're at. He said, if you'll take one step toward God, God will take a step toward you, but His steps are a whole lot bigger than yours are. Amen? Draw nigh to God. He will draw nigh to you. 
I'll tell you, it was just a wonderful thing. We went over there, Rachel's, and walked in the apartment, and little Amelia was just a squalling, just ah! as only a newborn can do. And uh, uh, Mama, uh, Grandma went in and got her, and then handed her to Grandpa, and I started rocking her, and pretty soon she was all just laying there asleep. Oh, so sweet. You can't do that when they're eight years old, can you? Because I can't lift you up no more. And uh, uh, they get too big, but it's so much, it's just something special. Every every once in a while, I want to make sure I haven't lost the touch, you know, to to just, and that's what the Lord's talking about. He says, if you draw nigh to me, if you'll let me hold you close, You'll have all the comfort and the protection that you need. And you know what? You never get too big to be coddled by God. Isn't that a wonderful thought? You never get too old. You never grow up to the point where God can't just hold you close. And here is the way that we draw nigh to God. Sinners... When you've sinned against God, you want to draw nigh to God, you wash your hands. How do you do that? First John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. How many of you, have, don't raise your hands, but how many of you have ever had a problem with double-mindedness? It just seems like there's two of you there. You know, the world has this whole thing called schizophrenia, multiple personalities. And, and uh, you know, how many criminals have tried to pretend that they were two or three people in order to get off from some hideous crime? And, and I want to tell you that every one of us, when you get saved, you have the Holy Spirit moving in and the old sin nature is there. Uh, is that not textbook schizophrenia? Hello? Uh, uh, but here's what it says. If you have problems with double-mindedness, purify your hearts. Because your mind is controlled by your heart. You see... That part of your heart that's the old sin nature is still reaching out to the lust and the evil that is in this world. At the same time, that heart... Read Romans chapter 7. Paul said, who shall deliver me? Uh, He said, oh, wretched man that I am. I mean, the struggle sometimes is, is terrible. But if we will purify our hearts, it will make our minds single on God. What's the next verse say? Be afflicted and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned into mourning and your joy to heaviness. You know, we have done such a wonderful job on this thing called optimism. That that we have people looking for uh, the best in the worst. And, and trying to find, oh, you can find something good in everything. Can I challenge you? We, we just read the verse. 
I can't find anything good in the world. Only God is good. And it wouldn't hurt for us to let sorrow have a little bit of work. Uh, What would Jesus say? Blessed are they that what? Mourn. You want to be comforted by God. Allow the Holy Spirit of God to work up and work through you a sorrow for the wrongs that we have done. Not that somebody else has done. I mean, it, it breaks my heart to see other people do wrong things. I, I just can't even imagine some of the things that have happened in America. Uh, uh, what just happened in the uh, attempt to derail the uh, Kavanaugh uh, appointment to the Supreme Court, these, these things strike at the foundation of what America is not, what America was founded to stop. The tyranny of the few. That these little people who think that abortion is the most important aspect of American freedom have the right to lie and malign and make up and do all of these things and their only justification is that Roe versus Wade will be in danger if Kavanaugh's put on the Supreme Court. And if you want to make it any more complicated than that, be my guest. But if you want to come to where the world is real, that's what's going on. As Americans, we ought to be weeping over that. We ought to be confessing that kind of sin to our God. But before we get so upset about Chucky Schumer and Nancy Pelosi and all the rest of these people, maybe we ought to get upset about the wrong things that we have done to offend our God this week. That's, that's what this verse is talking about. That's how I draw nigh to God. And verse 10 says, Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and He shall lift you up. I will tell you that the only true exaltation, the only true accommodation you want in your life comes from the Lord Jesus Christ. And see, the next passage, the next part of this chapter is talking about judging one another. Why? Because that's what Jesus is going to do. But when I humble myself, what happens? That opens the door for God to use me in the way that He wanted to. I'm not worried about what the world says, what the world is doing. I am too busy submitting myself to God, keeping my hands clean, my heart pure. And there will always be enough wrong things going on in my own life to keep me in a state of mourning and humility before the throne of God. How many of you have ever met someone who actually thought they had arrived? That they just were God's gift to the company or uh, uh, to the human race. I mean, they're just so glad. If you could only get to know me. Does anybody remember that stupid song that was during the 70s? To know me is to love me because I'm perfect in every way. And uh, it didn't last very long. It, it was actually top of the charts in, in uh, uh, 
I'm not going to try to give you the year, but sometime in the late 70s, early 80s, I remember listening to it on the radio uh, when I was listening to music that shouldn't have been listening to. And the simple truth is, friendship with the world is pride, is it not? Uh, This self-esteem doctrine, this pride doctrine, this finding something good in everything. Uh, The fairness doctrine. Hey, how about the wash your hands doctrine? How about purifying your hearts doctrine? How about humbling yourselves before God? How about resisting the devil by getting close to Jesus? Amen? Because if we will humble ourselves in the sight of God, He's the one that's going to lift us up. And let me tell you, when He does the lifting, oh, wow, it's a whole different world. Because Jesus is the final arbiter. Jesus is the final judge. Jesus' opinion of my life, of your life, is the only one that's really going to count. You want it to be good? You get close enough to Jesus that he rubs off, and it'll be on the right side of eternity. And all God's people say, Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you. We ask that you would help us as we're going through the book of James. Lord, that we would get a true and honest biblical attitude toward this world in which we live, toward our God. Lord, that we would let our attitude toward you determine what we think about the world in which we live, not the other way around. Lord, that we would realize we are sinful and we are prone to all of these things, but if we'll simply trust in you, Lord, help us to keep our hands clean, our hearts pure, our eyes wet, and our hearts humble before holy God. It's in Jesus' name we pray. We'll have the piano play. If you need to come and pray, the altar's open.